What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast. I am one of your hosts, John, and with me, as always, is Daniel Terry. How are you doing on this uh, evening? I'm doing good, man. My my allergies are acting up, which which has been kind of problematic for people around me. It hasn't really been that bad. I, I think I started sneezing um, sometime this evening, and... Uh, I just don't want to do it at work because like, I don't want people drawing a bunch of guns on me. We had the episode with Dennis and Refuse that we had recorded uh, literally within probably a day or so of this coronavirus thing happening, uh, and Dan and I talking about that. And it's interesting because at the time I was like, oh man, I hope we weren't like kind of rude or whatever, or maybe we sh- you know, people are wondering why we didn't talk about it. And I had completely forgotten that we did because it just, you know, as we kind of, as I said in my uh, COVID-19 episode with a bunch of various people in the music industry... With JB from August Burns Red, I was like, shit, that was only a week ago as of when we did that conversation from the first conversation we had. And it felt like so much time has passed. And still to this day, it's only been, I think, two weeks since the Denison Refused episode. And it feels like so much life stuff has happened uh, more than just the two weeks. Um, I know my wife and I have been talking quite a bit about how this year just feels like it's been so long and like it's it's only you know we're getting ready to go into april and it's one of those things where i'm like put my dog down and then your grandmother died and then now COVID 19 and then you know the music industry shut down so you're not able to go to shows or do anything anything other than for me and dan go to work and come home and go to work and come home it's exciting um yeah. Um, so it's it's one of those things that I just feel like more days have passed than they really have. And, it, and it's kind of an interesting um, time that we're in. And uh, unfortunately, because I was in such a rush to hurry up and get that COVID-19 episode out uh, due to Frank's uh, GoFundMe uh, campaign that was going on that's ending, you know, in a couple of days as of when we're recording, uh, Dan wasn't really able to be a part of that. I just kind of really quickly, you know, vanity project of sorts and then just fucking got it done and out because we have other stuff that we worked on as you heard with the armor for sleep episode which happened literally the day before i did all the covid19 uh interviews but um haven't really had an opportunity to to talk to dan about how it's affecting him i mean he was telling me a story before we were recording uh about an experience he he had today uh as a result of being an essential employee yeah i mean so i got pulled over on my way to work this morning uh not once but two times uh which is weird because i kind of expected like checkpoints but there wasn't really checkpoints and so i i pulled out of my neighborhood and pulled out onto the highway and immediately a cop kicked lights you know because it's kind of early in the morning um so he kicked lights immediately and and pulled me over and um i actually have a note uh from my uh from my employer saying, you know, Dan is an essential employee, uh, and, and this is why or whatever. And like, he looked over it and he was like, well, anybody could have printed one of these up. And I was like, well, you know, trust me, dude, I don't love going to work like that much, um, to where I would do that. Uh, but you know, it, it's, it's official. Like, can I, can I go now? Cause like, I thought he was pulling you over. Cause like, I was like, oh crap, I got a bad taillight. Cause I, my, my, my vehicle is kind of a beater. Uh, so it's not like the most beautiful vehicle in the world. Uh, so I thought, oh, maybe it's just a taillight, but it, it wasn't that he was literally pulling me over. Like where, who are you? Where are you going? Why are you going there? You know? And so that was kind of rough. And then, um, a little while later, I drove to, uh, I drove to the county where I work, which is a different county. And I got pulled over again, uh, <laughs> like no joke. <laughs> and it was like the same thing. Although the cop was much nicer. Uh, the second time he, he just looked at my stuff and was like, Oh, okay. Well, good luck to you. Um, and my job, my job is one of those, like, it's not up for interpretation. My work is essential. I do work on medical equipment, uh, specifically, um, O2 concentrators, um, which is something that people are actually needing to use to fight the virus because of the respiratory issues. So, I mean, it's, it is important work. Um, but yeah, it's, it's getting kind of scary out there, man. Uh, to, to the point where like I I wouldn't have considered that anybody would have given me like any trouble. Um, a buddy of mine called me and a guy was doing some work on his house like a carpenter and uh, apparently that guy got pulled over and was detained. Oh wow! Because he didn't have like a, a note, you know. So that's uh, it's it's scary out there, guys. I mean, when, when if you're if you're in a lockdown situation, uh, unfortunately you, you gotta you gotta stay locked down. 
um, as much as it sucks when we're, we're at a point where there's law enforcement getting involved. I mean, even, even here in Missouri, um, the, the few gas stations that I've drove past, um, which is, you know, as everyone knows, my favorite place to buy beer, um, <laughs> they won't let more than 10 people into a gas station at one time. I mean, luckily I'm the only guy there getting space dust, but you know, it's still, um, it's still, it's, it's a little scary. It's a little weird. Thankfully, though, um, as an essential employee, too, which I have my reservations about that for various reasons, uh, um, it's it's interesting, um, which kind of, you know, is, a, it, is the best of a tie-in as we can get uh, for the episode here with uh, Justin Foley of Kill Switch Engage. Um, I did this, <laughs> the, the last date of this tour, uh, the second one, um, and you know we we kind of touch on this because at the time it was the information was not you know we didn't know much about anything and you know between this and you know i kind of cut it out of the jb episode that'll be next and following this but it's a thing where justin and i talk about it and i don't mean to i can't i can't apologize for retroactively not knowing things because that was just the world we lived in at the time like there was no real information and it seemed like we were all overreacting to nothing um so if anyone is like oh you guys weren't taking it seriously you have to understand that when we did this like there was little to no information at the time and it seemed like based on the internet just going crazy there was a lot of overreactions um yeah i mean even on even on the the uh refused episode we we were cracking jokes about it. Yeah. You know, and it's not that we were being insensitive. We just didn't know. Yeah. We had no idea how, how, how far this is going to go. So it's uh, it's one of those things where this is a, a, a pretty interesting conversation with Justin. Um, you know, we talk about the, you know, the new Killswitch record, Atonement, which is out now. Um, the fact that, you know, them working with Howard, the, the label, not issues, but basically them finally after fuck what 20 years almost uh of being on roadrunner like finally going to a new label and it being metal blade and you know the kind of not pressures but just it seems like you know they really wanted to kind of make a, a a statement record uh with this record uh compared to you know some of the last records that they put out that sounds bad uh compared to some <laughs> of the other <laughs> what is this discography discussion yeah <laughs> yeah um compared to you know this record as a whole ever really since jesse came back in the band it sounds like every record always has something to prove and you know, I thought I thought Incarnate was actually a really aggressive record, and this one kind of finds more of that balance between you know aggression and and kind of hooky choruses and so forth, and just kind of is what I think Killswitch is uh, firing on all cylinders. And it's a great record. If you haven't heard it, go check it out. Um, but the thing with me is, you know, that uh, I can't turn down talking to another member of Blood Has Been Shed. Of course not. So you know that we. Uh, get into some blood has been shed talk and uh you know what? i want to talk about that a little bit more so let's hop into this conversation with justin foley of kill switch engage we'll talk to you on the other side of it I have the pleasure of talking to Justin Foley, drummer for Killswitch Engage, whose latest record, Atonement, is out now. I feel like there's a lot of renewed energy uh, with this record, and I feel like part of that may be impartial to being on a new label. How was that experience of actually going to a different label and kind of having a new home uh, for you? Did it kind of bring out new renewed energy? Yeah, I think you could say that. Um, it was pretty cool to just have a sense of optimism with where metal blade might be able to take it that kind of thing you know we've known brian forever over there it's a great dude um runs a really good label so it's just sort of exciting once we finally got the uh, process ended and we knew where we were going to go and then, <laughs> which seemed to take forever but um it just made perfect sense and yeah we were all it's like great you know we love brian It'd be exciting to, to work with him and see where it can go it's kind of interesting you know a lot of times you you were one of the few bands tired and true it was a roadrunner band and it's always interesting to see some of these bands that have been with a label for so long and are kind of identified as that to then kind of when they go somewhere else kind of 
thinking about the identity of a band being so tied to a label and you know it's it was when the news was kind of like well they're not on road running roadrunner anymore it was well, what would be a good fit for for you guys because you know i always thought you know something like good fight or old ferret at the time kind of seemed to grab bands that were very self-sufficient very diy which is very much in your wheelhouse between everything you're able to do in-house and so it's kind of fun thinking about things like that just from an outsider's perspective but i imagine for you guys like there's so many more intangibles of going through that experience that i, I you know so far into a career that it just always kind of uh intrigued me as to what that process looks like for you guys yeah i mean other than that very very first um record it's it's all been roadrunner it's like all all we've known is roadrunner but at the same point at the same time roadrunner went through so many changes <laughs> yeah. over the course of how long we were there i mean we were there really forever wait i mean when they signed that um original deal the guys have told me that we we're like they're laughing <laughs> like there's no way we'll ever get to the end of this kind of like no no we're not gonna be around for six records or whatever it was so um and you know after all those years the turnover was insane where roadrunner from our perspective there are so many different people there it was almost like it had become a different label two or three times over in that span so yeah i mean from from one view you could say oh well there are all the records on roadrunner and from us it's like well we've worked with a ton of different people anyway through this process so um it, it was a little bit yeah i guess it was a little bit different and you know finding somebody else for the next one was sort of like okay well, now here's a new group of people maybe uh like you said it would be sort of re-energized and as far as the pushing that you'll get from the label or just how, how they'll back you. I'm not trying to say that Roadrunner didn't. I mean, obviously they no. did. I mean, through all the vocal changes, the singer changes and all that kind of stuff, they were very supportive. But, you know, uh, at the point where you were at when this one was coming out, it definitely was something that we needed to um, just kind of change up and get a fresh uh, perspective on. This may not be a question necessarily that you might have had any input into, but, you know, I'm kind of one that likes to try to taken a lot of what you're presenting as far as the music as far as the packaging as far as even an album title and so it was kind of interesting you know atonement uh being a singular album title really kind of made me start kind of thinking about that the, the rebirth kind of process or just not being happy with where you were um so i mean it was just kind of wondering if even for you you felt that the album title in name really kind of applies to what you guys have gone through to make this record yeah i, I suppose a little bit I, I also didn't want um I was a little nervous about it at first because I didn't want people to read it as in like, sorry, we screwed the last one up. <laughs> well, hopefully this one's better, you know, but I think, yeah, in some ways that it, it could, it could be like that. I mean, the, it was pretty interesting process naming it because like at one point there was a, there was a title that I don't remember exactly what it was, but there was an email about it. And <laughs> I was like, what, wait, what? There's some like holdover artwork or, or I was like, is that like a working title or is that the title? And Mike and Jesse are like, oh, forgot to ask you guys. <laughs> We're like, uh, I think we can do something else. <clears throat> so that was pretty interesting. But yeah, I, I can see what you're saying with that. Um, you know, it's kind of hard sometimes to talk to some of these bands that have had the, the lineage that you guys do, you know, being around for, you know, 20 years now at this point and thinking about conjunction of where I was in my life when certain records came out and so forth. And having seen you guys so often over the years of just thinking about a set list now, I mean, you're six records in and there's different iterations of fans that come in and out and so forth. And I think Killswitch is one of those where fans kind of have stuck around from wherever they came on and go forward with you. But in thinking about the tour you did with Iron Maiden, where I'm like, that's a band that unapologetically would be like, so we have a new record, fuck you, we're playing most of it, and then the next tour is the, the greatest hits tour. Touring with a band like that and being around as long as you have, how do you determine how you pick a set list? And are there still kind of, I don't want to say fights, but uh, are there still kind of like, well, I really would like to play X song because we haven't played it or haven't played it ever. Um, do you still go through that? Is picking a set list still difficult? Yes. And it's getting more difficult because it's a really good problem to have that we have songs that people want to hear that people would be disappointed if we didn't play. So as those are building up, there's less and less time to put in songs like that. Like, oh, we've never played this. It would be fun to do. And then you try to work it in there and you're like, well, on this one, you know, for example, in this set list, we have, I think, six songs on the new record, which oh, wow. for us is, is quite a bit, five or six, which is, you know, almost half, basically half the record, which, um, you know, but we're excited to play them and we want to push the record and it just makes a lot of sense um, to do that. So once you add that in and then once you add the songs that we really don't want people bummed out for not playing, then time, this is kind of definitely a time crunch in there for sure. And this one's a little interesting too, because, um, you know, Howard's here and we... 
we know that people are stoked on that and how to work in either um, songs from those from the Howard records in there or like how to handle that situation. So it was a little it was a little bit different, but we've been talking about some um, different songs too that we want to work on and. That's what some of the sound checking is for, to try to sneak, <laughs> sneak some of those in there. But nothing's exactly re- ready yet, but it would be fun. There's a bunch. Like I Actually, getting ready for this tour, I just put um, my iPod on random, on our songs random and just played as much as I could remember. And obviously, some of them I know in my sleep, but other ones, the song would start. I would be like, I have no idea what the song is. Like, what record is this on? <laughs> it would be weird. And there are other ones that I played along to that we've either not played in forever or that I we've never played and I knew them and I was like wow that would be really fun I'd like to work that song in sometime what is something that you haven't played ever that you would like to see get into the set eventually um, I would love to play Reject Yourself mm. that's one of my one of my uh, favorite one of, my of ours yeah. songs I think it just came out well and it's different and like I like the ending um, I don't know I don't, don't know if I'd describe it as sort of post-rocky but it sort of has that that vibe to it and I'm a huge um, fan of that kind of music so playing that it was I like revisiting that and practicing it kind of struck me I was like man that song would be really fun to do no idea if there's a demand out there for it I'm not I have no clue it is one of my it, favorite so. songs and it's a deep track it is a deep track it's quite which, deep <laughs> which is I think it's actually the album closer it's one of the last two songs but yeah I, it is kind of funny some of your songs like that I'm surprised you know like even Element of One off of Elaborate Just Breathing you do have songs that are big crowd pleasers that are deep onto the album tracks and I always find that interesting too that I mean, kind of speaks to how great your songs are that you create is is that, but also to the fact of track listing at times, too. It seems like you guys have an unenviable position of having to sometimes put your good songs way at the end. <laughs> well, I, I think I know that I really spend a lot of time working on track listing, and I don't know if I should just not do it anymore because it's not <laughs> a big deal anymore. Yeah, but I still true. get wrapped up in it, and I really... Um, I like to end, I like to just have so many albums that I love that feel like they get better as they go on kind of thing. And I like that about putting a record together. It's probably a really outdated way of thinking, but I still kind of think that way. So sometimes I feel like, well, that's a really good way for the people that are going to listen to a record. That's a really good way to go out. Um, you know, having songs end like that. So yeah, I have, I have no idea. But like you mentioned, like Element of One's towards the end. That in like Rise Inside we played before. That record's a little bit different because we've sort of done the entire record. And right. Then, right when Jesse came back, we did it and everything. So it's a little bit, it's a little bit different. I think um, some of the other records, some of the songs at the end aren't aren't quite as as uh, I don't know as as listened to as as those would be. Trying to you know thinking about your career between Kill Switch, doing the one record you do with Unearth, and correct me if I'm wrong. I think you did the Azalea Dying tour filling in uh, many, many years ago. Yeah, South America tour I did. I mean, they're all kind of rooted, we'll call it in metal, Um, but I think every one of those bands, especially if you pay attention to the music, musicality of it all, very different, the things that especially the drummers are doing. Uh, I mean, on Earth, it always amazes me watching them. You know, the the drummer plays a more traditional style uh, grip uh, as far as how he drums, and it looks weird because it's not what's normal uh, as opposed to playing like the was it mat or matchstick grip? Is that how it's called? Yeah, yeah. it always looks weird, right? Yeah, not as weird as lefty drummers. They make my heads explode with lefty drummers. I actually remember seeing the band Dope. If you remember that band, uh, their drummer had basically a mirrored kit split down half. So he had like his hi-hats on either side because he was just, I mean, technically as a drummer, you're supposed to be ambidextrous, so it makes sense. But it was just kind of weird looking at him and no matter how he wanted to play, basically he had his kit mirrored. So it's like he had a hi-hat over here, hi-hat over here. And it was interesting watching him do his fills and stuff like that. And it was one of the first times I ever thought truly that being ambidextrous in the truest sense like that, where you would want everything to kind of be mirrored. So your fills, you're you're not too far away from your your basic parts of your drum kit and I was just like oh I'm surprised I don't see more drummers kind of doing things like that but to think of you know like I said watching on earth I'm always just gravitated to watching uh his name escapes me but uh but watching him drum and even doing like slow-mo videos of his fills because like the, the stick as it's coming down in his one hand just looks so effortlessly and like it and it's hitting with a lot of force and impact but it doesn't seem like it should um but then even like you know with Jordan like his double bass work is just incredible and his like speed stick speed is like lightning fast and it's interesting to see and have seen you play all of those but it does make me wonder what's you know you talked about being into post-rock what is a genre or what is a band maybe that you would like to jam with that maybe people wouldn't expect from you um dave matthews band really <laughs> that would be 
That would be interesting. <laughs> I mean, you talk about a phenomenal drummer, but yeah, right. And the guy who's, I mean, he kind of plays open like lefty. Yeah. So he's definitely. If there was a candidate to have a kit mirror image, it would be somebody like like him for sure. But um, I don't know. I like. Uh, it'd be fun to do. I don't know about necessarily a jam band. I mean, I know that they have. Well, I meant more like to jam with. But, but to jam, but yeah. yeah, to jam with. But it would be fun to 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 play something where um, a lot of the ideas are kind of left open or like the fills are left open or whether there's like solo sections are extended or some kind of something like that. That'd be, that'd be kind of a fun thing to do. Um, you know, I, I can't think of anything exactly that, that, um, comes to mind, but I mean, other than that, uh, I, I would kill to play for Caspian right now. Cause I like mm. my favorite band right now. So, so I almost figured like a, a band like thrice would have been right in your thrice house. Totally. would be, would be a real fun one. Something like that too, where, um, I don't have to play double bass. <laughs> I can just kind of <laughs> jam and do some some backbeat stuff would be fun. So I was going back through and watching some of the Kill Switch documentaries, trying to find something different uh, to pull from maybe that I haven't seen in, in looking up a couple interviews with you over the years and so forth. And in the newer one, you know, toward the end of it, there's a bit of a focus of, you know, your shoulder injury, Adam's back injury. Uh, at the time, I don't believe Adam... Uh, Jesse's vocal stuff had been an issue yet, but it really kind of got me on this train of thought of thinking about how most of you have all gone through something where potentially you had to step away and kind of saw the band progressing without you or going on without you or the thought of this might be it. And I don't know that a lot like I don't know that just a singular person in a band would go through that, like let alone three or four other people in the band. Do you feel that having all gone through those experiences together individually and together allowed you to kind of help each other get through it? And secondly, I haven't figured out how to ask this question specifically, but, um, you know, did it kind of make you realize that there there will be an end to the band and kind of what that looks like uh, when the band no longer will exist? Definitely thinking about that a lot um, lately just because I feel so old. And it's getting really hard to, to do this. I mean, I feel even last night, it's the first show. So a lot of times the first show, there's rust. Um, and as much as I can play at home, there's a whole added adrenaline factor with people and you just um you know you can't you can't simulate it really right no matter how hard you try to play at home or how long you try to play at home it's just always it's always a little bit different and yeah it's just my body just doesn't listen to me even mentally it doesn't um it doesn't do what i wanted to do like it used to everything is much more difficult even the songs that used to be easier songs are just harder than they used to be so for me i'm thinking about that a lot too um but like you mentioned before um I just think we are, have a pretty good support system with each other in general, whether people have to miss shows. I mean, Joel's um, had to miss shows with some uh, family members, um, ha- like family-related things, which we're always very supportive of. So um, everybody, when something like that happened to me, I know that everyone was excellent and, and Jordan filled in, which was great. Right. But everyone was like, dude, don't worry about it. Everything's going to be fine. Just you know, do what you got to do. We'll figure it out. And obviously I felt... You know, I felt terrible. It was very, really close to an upcoming tour, and the guys had to scramble and everything. But I don't, it's just a good support system. We're all just... Um, I know that I feel really lucky to do this, too. So that's another part of it. We're just very fortunate to, to do this and really enjoy doing it as well. So um, I think we... We know, we know how good we have it, basically, <laughs> how good we've had it for a while. And we're very lucky um, to have it uh, that way and that we're still doing this. So... Yeah, as, as far as whenever it's going to end, I don't know. It, it would be nice not to have something stop it for us. It would be nice to make your own decision about it, you know. What's pretty, um, what's the right word? I was, when Dillinger just mm. ended, you know, yeah. still at the top of the game. And then they said, you know, we've done this. We've kind of had enough. We'll do some other stuff. I was like, wow, man, I was really envious in a way, I guess, that they just were able to, were able to do that. And, uh it's really admired them making a decision because it's not an easy thing to think about. They could still be playing. They could still be, um, you know, comfortably in a band and have that be their employment, I guess. Um, I'm a little scared of the unknown in that sense. So, but yeah, hopefully, you know, as long as people are still coming to see us too and we're all still enjoying it. We had a great time last night. The crowd was excellent as long as uh, my body can hold up. <laughs> I don't plan on stopping. Something that I find intriguing about the collective of Killswitch other than Jesse and Mike, none of you are on social media. It's not a big driving factor for you. You don't see the at least daily posts. Hey, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm eating. This is where I'm hanging. Jesse's got enough for all of us. <laughs> 
<laughs> you said that, not me. <laughs> uh, all of it. I mean, he has two accounts now, even. Um, he just needs a couple more, and then he's got all covered. <laughs> but the thing that was interesting about that to me is in thinking about how you know, social media has become king. It, it is kind of a currency now. Everyone needs to be pushing their product, whether it's a VIP product, a signature, whatever, swipe up stories and all this kind of stuff, which may or may not mean anything to you. But in thinking about how all of you are really not on it, it's kind of made me realize that maybe I feel like that's why fans like you more because there's not the oversaturation of content from all five of you constantly. Do you feel that that is something that has added value to the band and to the brand itself where people are genuinely interested and invested in solely the music which should be the thing that shines through the most i don't know it's it's interesting well i mean <laughs> a lot of a lot of bands are out there to an extreme or you know have all their stuff out there and it doesn't it doesn't hurt them at all um you know people like them just as much as as uh, as they would um yeah i don't really know i just i just know that uh I don't personally need to know what everyone is thinking about us all the time, and I don't. I don't think it's necessarily a healthy thing either when no. you're when you're when you're in a band. Like I don't. I don't. I don't need to see what the internet thinks of our new song. Like we made it. It's out there. Cool. We're gonna go out and play it. And if people like it when we play it, that's the test. So I, I don't need any of those other feelers, you know. And I don't necessarily need to have a lot of people know what I'm up to all the time either like i don't i don't I, I, apart from just being something for fans like i don't not even from like my friends like i don't have another private one somewhere where i say hey i'm doing all this like uh, yeah whatever i'll just i'll call you and talk to you about it kind of right. thing so <clears throat> um but yeah but but having one obviously it's extremely important for the band in general to be out there and represented um as far as with the kill switch instagram or whatever i mean there's a crew Instagram, which is a pretty cool thing too. That they have some like behind the scenes stuff. Uh, all that stuff's really good. I, I'm definitely for it. I'm not like an anti-social media person. Right. I just personally don't need to do that. <laughs> and if it's if uh, I, can, I can see what you mean though, because I mean, growing up, a lot of the bands that I loved, I didn't know everything about them, and that was fine. And it was fun to look for little pieces about them and learn stuff here and there about them. Or um, or when I would go see a show, it would be like, wow. I'm seeing it rather than I've seen, you know, a million videos of their shows. So I know exactly what to expect kind of thing. That's a cool thing that can kind of be missing if stuff's out there too much. It's funny you mention that because it's kind of in line with my next question was in what little bit of information I've seen in interviews with you, you've uh, made it pretty well aware or well known that uh, Neil Peart and uh, Shane, Sean, sorry. Sean, Sean, Sean Renner. Yep. Yeah. Um, were big influences on you. And obviously, more so Neil was very uh, private. Uh, I mean, even, I mean, taking, in today's digital 24-hour news cycle, the fact it took almost a week for everyone to find out that he, when he had passed initially, uh, and we're hearing about it days later, was shocking. Um, no one knew he even had But the, And that's my point years. is, you know, the, the fact that no one knew anything, you know, he so by all accounts, it seems like he did that last tour knowing that he had all of this. And, you know, not very often do when I do these or just in general, do you see a one-two punch of basically someone's influences going down, let alone in a matter of a week apart? And so as, as a drummer and as someone who, you know, maybe doesn't have as much content out there about... Uh, you know some of your influences and things like that. How did that affect you? And, and what are what were some of the things you were kind of going through, thinking about probably listening to those records and, and trying to learn those those songs? Yeah, I, when I found out about Neil, I texted some drummer friends and some people, and I put uh, moving pictures on and cranked it and spent the whole night crying. <laughs> no joke, in tears, drinking as much beer as I could get my hands on. Um, just it was I was it, you know it hit hard. Out of nowhere, it hit hard like that. It was crazy. Yeah, and then I I um, played. I just put my iPod on on rush shuffle and played for the next basically until I got. I played through all of the songs. So that's the only thing I practiced was just that. I set up a new drum kit in my house with a lot of toms like I used mm. to have when I was a kid. <laughs> um, and the reason that I did it when I was a kid was so I could properly play. You know, the twenty one twelve fill like that kind of mm. thing. So I had all that stuff set up, and then right. <laughs> When I was about wrapping up of that, the Sean Reiner thing, and I was just really floored by that one too because, like Neil, um, 
like you're talking about being private. Like he, I never, I've never met him. Right. No one meets him. He didn't do meet and greets. Like it was just like a thing that was just, you know, I'm never going to ever come in contact with this guy. But when the cynic focus record came out and I was 17, I wrote them a letter and he wrote back. Oh wow. And so I had that, you know, on my wall when I was a kid and I went to see them and I got a signed stick from him and you know, like got ants, like real answers. Like, Hey, what do you play? How did, did you take music lessons or all this stuff? And then we, they sent it, got back together at like 2007 or whatever that was eight, nine, sometime yeah, late somewhere around there, yeah. And we did a show with them in Prague, you know, and I ran into him and met him again and said, Hey, I wrote you a letter way back. And he was like, Oh, cool. You know, whatever. So it was like somebody <laughs> I actually had contact with right. that also changed drumming and musically changed everything for me. So those two guys, one guy that was just sort of no chance would I ever interact with them, but that's fine. I don't need to. It was basically, um, rush was basically my first music school because I would pl- learn all the parts and learn how they worked and then learn all the bass parts and all that stuff. And then cynic was, um, just another total change. It took me in an entirely new direction and everything. So I didn't like it. I didn't <laughs> like it at all. <laughs> it's just kind of interesting thinking, being able to, you know, try to put myself in that situation. I've, I've, there have been people who have passed away where, you know, obviously difference, but, you know, like Kobe Bryant in sports. Uh, I grew up, I remember watching high school games. And, you know, I remember, you know, some seeing some people go like, oh, you never met the person. Why are so people enamored with celebrity, celebrities once they pass away and all this kind of stuff? And I was like, well grow up watching someone three, four times, you know, a week for 20 years and tell me that you don't feel like you have some sort of significant, like, bond with them, even if you've never met them. And I definitely think the same applies to music because music, a lot of times when you find it and it's something that resonates with you, it becomes more than just an audible experience. It becomes a very emotional and physical experience at times that can take you back to wherever you were when you first heard a record, bring you back to a lot of things. And so, like I said, the the sheer impact of losing not one, but two people in a matter of a week like that, where I know that for a lot of drummers were very big influences, was just kind of like, holy shit, and you're the first drummer I've talked to since all this has happened. So, And the fact you've been vocal about it being two of your bigger influences was even more like prevalent to me to at least you know, kind of talk to you about it. Yeah, I was scared. Like, who's next? <laughs> I was like, oh my God, like, what, what's going to happen? Some of my friends um, were like texting me like, hey, you know, be careful. Wrap yourself in bubble tape. I'm like, guys, I'm nowhere near as important enough as these. <laughs> you don't have to worry about me. Like somebody, if there's going to be in threes, like somebody big is going down. It's scary. So kind of as we're slowly wrapping up. Um, so I've had the pleasure of talking to Howard. Uh, and we, toward the end, talked about Blood Has Been Shed. Then magically out of nowhere, Corey sends me a message and I get to talk to Corey which Howard in our interview was like good luck getting Corey if you can because he's even more elusive and busier than I am so the fact that it only took a week of that episode posting for Corey's son to find the episode and then put me in contact with Corey we did a whole hour and a half long chat basically about blood has been shed so now you're completing my trilogy because I like to kind of a completist of sorts of wanting to talk to you a bit about blood has been shed does it still surprise you, the fandom of the band, all these years later, considering the, and this doesn't negate what you've done, but the lack of output? Like, it's not like you're a band that was around for 20-something years and has 10 records under your belt. Yeah, right. Does the the fandom of everything of that band still surprise you all these years later? Yeah, and because we didn't play huge tours. We didn't go out and play massive shows. You know, we played a lot of um, local, small club shows. That was pretty much it. So, absolutely, I have no idea where, where it's coming from. I really don't. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but I know it's interestingly, I know that, um, whatever happened has left some kind of mark because like, um, a little while back I got, uh, a text from Blake from between the buried and me. And he was like, Hey man, I'm, I got a couple questions about you about, um, the song beginner's luck. I want to do some like cover of it or something. And I was like, what? <laughs> so, I mean, you know, that, that was like surreal. Cause I mean, Blake's an absolute monster and the band is I love Between the Bear to Me and so he's asking me about something that I did on what feels to me like a kind of obscure album was, was pretty interesting so in talking with Corey something he had actually said and, and kind of speaks I think to 
I'll say this because I know you won't say it, but your your virtuosity behind just thinking of drums and drumming in general. As he was talking about how you were writing something but didn't have a kit and you had like uh like a, a shaker, like a, a marimba or something. Like you had different things that were not technically drums. And so you're like, okay, well, when I record this, like my right hand playing the shaker is going to be the snare. This is going to be the... And then you, like you were able to transcribe it. And I was like, that's insane because given how technically proficient that music is to think of what you would be playing on non-traditional instruments to then go, yeah, I got it, okay. We had really weird um, practice situations when we were writing spirals. Like, we didn't always have a practice space, but we always... um wanted to keep moving forward with what we were writing because we were having all these ideas and we wanted to get them out or at least run them by each other. And, and there was there was a time I remember when we we had no place to set up like a kit or anything and we were sitting kind of in the living room of mm-hmm. the house he was living in. I do remember that. I had like some different hand drums and we were basically just like banging through patterns and there's one really weird pattern that we needed to get through um, any way we could do it, just so our brains could start understanding the pattern. And you know, and I remember, I remember doing that. And we had the, some of these numbers were written on the back of a pizza box, and we were just trying to remember to get through it. And just any way you could do it, physically hitting something to do it was was a way to do it. Um, you know, another time we were, I don't even know, we were in this a house of um, somebody that he knew grandmother and she was not in the house for a while and the person was letting us practice there on like so we're writing this <laughs> this <laughs> weird heavy record and i have this like pad like electronic pad kit set up and we're sort like we're in the most stereotypical old lady living room that you've ever seen and that's what we're trying to write in this living room like it didn't go together you know but all it's part it's all part of whatever made that come out the way it came out what's interesting to me is in my chat with Corey, you know because i had it started with howard and i was like yo like you and mike long time ago i think on the as daylight dies record cycle are on in an interview someone asked about blood has been shed and mike's like oh i've heard the new record it'll and then you know collectively it was supposed to be it was just waiting for vocals and was going to be done sometime that year and i think that was like 2004 that might be a little farther than i remember it ever getting okay (laughs) i remember things getting kind of demoed and like that what you played me and having some ideas but as far as like really starting to write or wrap things up i don't remember getting really too far with it we were hopeful but we didn't never really got going is that something that you got collectively would like to go back and at least finish it because you know i approached the Corey. if you have songs and at least we'll say three are done they just need to be properly recorded all the way through. Would you like to at least sort of see it to a completion to where it's like, these are going to be the last songs we and at least kind of finish Blood Has Been Shed officially with the last release of what had already been done? Maybe, but um, I have a feeling that if that started, there'd be new ideas. <laughs> you know what I mean? So then yeah. it would just be like, well, why do something that old? Why not just do new stuff, you know? So I have, I have a feeling that if it got to the point where we were, um, you know getting together in any in any way i would say that it would most likely result in something new coming down because he's always always so forward thinking with his stuff that strikes me that him going backwards to something probably wouldn't happen the irony is he said that the record he had remembrances of saying that i think this record's going to be 10 years ahead of its time oh okay (laughs) (laughs) he didn't just say we'll do it in 10 years well yeah sure (laughs) still been longer than that um you know, with Furnace Fest 20 happening and basically every band that was ever popular in the, you know, the last 20 some odd years in the metal, metalcore, hardcore scene, you know, I'd ask Corey, you know, has like a New England Metal Fest or anything ever tried to get you guys back together? Would doing a, a one-off Blesman Shed show, would that ever be something you would like to do? Because sort of like Corey and I joke, all the tours you did, like typically like you'd go to a show and up oh, basement or the, the venue flooded, can't play or oh, this happened and now this show's canceled. Like you had more <laughs> canceled shows <laughs> due to various things. So would you ever envision the band at least doing a one off in any sort of iteration? Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to do that. I would very much like to do that. It would take work to do oh, yeah. that. Um, it's not easy stuff to do, <laughs> but yeah, um, I would absolutely, uh, be down to, to do it. It'd be a pretty fun thing. I'd, I'd be really interested to see what the response would be. Just really, really curious. I, I don't know. I have no idea. I think people would be into it. I'd, it'd be weird to see. I would, I would also like to see what 
the crowd at like what age crowd are we talking about? Because <laughs> we're all old, man. Like yeah. we are old people. Are there going to be kids there? How are kids hearing about it? Like what's going on? Like I, I just don't know. So I mean, it'd be fine. I wouldn't put a whole lot of. Um, I wouldn't get my hopes up too high for it being some really awesome event and people being. I'd just be like, yeah, you know, it would be cool to um, dust these things off and uh, and do them again live. You know, it's, live energy is fun. I remember playing those shows and it was really fun to, to play that stuff live um so sure i mean that'd be a pretty cool thing to do obviously uh, we're all busy right but um we all live in different places so it's hard to get together but if we really you know if we really wanted to do it we could make it happen somehow but we'll see well i guess that's uh seems like the participants want to do it between collectively talking to you all. It's just a matter of scheduling and, and finding time. But it's uh, been something, you know, in doing this and in and remembering a time before the Internet and everyone having a blog or whatever, there weren't answers to a lot of these things. So it was like, here's this band. And obviously Killswitch kind of took Blood Has Been Shed out of the equation by taking you and Howard, by you guys going to the band. But it was one of those where it's like there just was no no nothing like there wasn't like a hey you know because of this we're done or you know anything like that there there was no not even like a Dylan dress thing where it's like hey you know we're we're uh, we're calling it a day it just has you know it's still dormant yeah. just imagine you guys are gonna be like a volcano that'll just erupt eventually one day <laughs> I don't think Corey felt like he needed to do like say anything about it not being we were you know we we're all sort of like oh, it'd be cool to get together and play again. And we just kept thinking that. And then, you know, <laughs> next thing you know, 16, 17 years later, we haven't or whatever it is. So I just sort of got time got away from us, I guess. But, yeah, it'd be fun. Um, well, I will uh, let you go. I was going to ask you about the coronavirus and how you think that's going to affect touring. But I feel like it's a little bit too heavy of a, uh, a question to end it, it on. Is, it's a valid question, especially like an hour ago. There was some... We just got Washington our first cases thing. last night at 1030 here in oh, Michigan. Oh, no kidding. We have our first two confirmed in Michigan. It was at like 1030 last night. Well, we just heard about Washington State putting a ban on Seattle gatherings. Yep, over 250. A, yeah, and we have a Seattle show coming up. We have no idea what's up with well, you heard, I'm sure you saw the thing about the person from Tool overseas that was on the f- in the general admission area that had a confirmed case and went to like this massive like arena show at Tool. <laughs> no, I didn't see that. No. <laughs> so it's uh, uh it's gonna be interesting for you guys. Well, thank you very much for taking the time and looking forward to the set tonight. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So that was my conversation with Justin Foley of Kill Switch Engage, and fuck it, why not? Blood has been shed because, as you heard, the band is not broken up they're just on a not defined hiatus <laughs> yeah i mean everybody kind of is right sure i mean like i said uh it was funny when i full transparency too uh i could and i'm only saying this because there was no way really to to cut out the whole thing of when i played justin the demo that uh cory sent us because I, I wanted to prove for beyond a shadow of a doubt with justin like i've heard something so i at least have a frame of reference for where this was gonna go uh in talking about some of the the album itself that we talked with Corey about and when i played i was like do you remember this and he goes holy shit yeah i remember that where'd you get that from <laughs> and he goes you get that from Corey?" and i was like yep so it was it's one of those things where it was really cool to be able to talk to another person an integral part of blood has been shed sound uh with another member of theirs um and by all accounts the thing that kind of gets me too and and i don't think i mentioned this at all in the interview i don't believe but howard actually walked by just as i was getting ready to ask about blood has been shed and i almost want to be like howard why don't you come on over and, and sit down for a second and then dan called in and then for some reason his audio just completely tanked it's so weird it's like <laughs> howard jones caused us some sort of interference on dan's computer <laughs> um but it was one of those things where you know i i knew i wanted to talk to, to justin about that and some people might say we've been beating the bullet has been shed horse to death don't but care i think we are trying to beat it into resuscitation um because by all accounts it sounds like other than just you know everyone being busy which understandably it sounds like everyone wants to the band to come back in some capacity and is down to at least at the very least do a reunion show of some sort totally yeah man like Let's let's do it. Let's make it happen. Let's live stream it. Oh god, that'd be so. Rough. I mean, like live streams. <clears throat> I don't know if we've talked about this really, or at least I haven't. Um, live streams have the potential to be, you know, bigger than than a show because more people can attend a live stream. You know, and uh, yeah, I could I, I could be down with that. Whether there's a there's a rampaging virus on the loose or not, um, I would love to see some of these songs, man. 
uh, oh, I know we're beating it to death, and I, I really just, I don't care. I don't care how you feel. I don't care either. How you feel about it? <laughs> like it's just, um, this band was incredible, and and sounds like they were on the verge to being incredible again. And I have to have that. I have to have that in my life. So you know, Howard, make it happen. Yeah, I, I am very much am hoping. He's not doing anything. No one's doing anything. He can make it happen. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what Corey's doing, but I mean, he like I, I made the comment. Nothing, John. We're all doing nothing. <laughs> you know, if Corey says that, you know, the record felt like he it was 10 years ahead of its time, then that means it's the perfect time to put it out now. So fucking finish it and put it out. Let's make it happen. Um, Kind of on a more somber note. Um, it was also kind of interesting to get to talk to Justin about, uh, Shane Reinhardt and Neil Peart and, yeah, yeah. you know, cause he has been, you know, in some of the drum magazines, some of the more drum centric interviews he's done, he's talked about how influential those two players were for him and to lose two of your biggest influences within a week of each other. That's just devastating. Like, I mean, I saw what it did to the, the music and hard rock, you know, metal world and all that, and just the, the drummers of the world worldwide. But to know that it's one of two of Justin's biggest influences um, is really wild. And, you know, I, I didn't want to bring it up to be insensitive or anything, but it's just one of those things where I I know there's going to be a handful of musicians that if when they pass away, I'm, I'm probably going to get real fucking gutted because it'll be like, holy shit, like these guys meant so much to me and influenced me to do X, Y, or Z. And uh, yeah. that's not a rush pun either. Um, that's Y, Y, Z. Never mind. Never mind. Just let it... Just- just let it happen, John. Fall into it. But no, so, um, you know, getting to talk to, to Justin about two of his bigger influences was uh, something I thought would be interesting for drummers, because we don't actually talk to... I mean, we talk to a decent amount of drummers, but we don't talk to a whole lot, and we don't really talk kind of drum people in general a whole lot, so it just kind of felt like an opportunity to to talk to a drummer about drum legends um, that obviously have a big impact on on what you know typically we are in with this podcast which is rock metal and so forth so um but i thought it was kind of cool and was really really touching to kind of hear you know how he went and dealt with the news um i think you know some people like i said a couple minutes ago there are some deaths that happen in the the music industry that when they they go they just you know, have a ripple effect and you're going to always remember where you were when you heard of what happened to them. Um, I could tell you where I was that literally within 20 minutes of finding out of Dimebag's passing, uh, when it happened in real time. Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't remember where I was when that happened. Cause I've never been like a massive Pantera fan, but, um, it definitely was something that, that made waves. I mean, you look at even something like Kobe Bryant, you know, um, that was, it's weird too, because, when I was listening to your conversation, I was like, Kobe Ryan didn't, didn't die. Like I had almost like erased it from my mind. And then I was like, no, it did happen. Like, like just now, like I, that, that's what I'm saying. Like this, this year has been for, I'm not negating anyone else's tragedies on a bigger scale. And, and you know, fuck it. I don't care if you don't think Kobe Bryant passing was a tragedy, then I mean, whatever. But it's a thing where there has been so much negativity and, and death and, and darkness on this year, at least for me, um, between, like I said, my dog passing away, or like having put my dog down, my gr- wife's grandmother passing away, Kobe Bryant dying, the deaths in the rock and you know, metal industry, coronavirus wiping everything out and making us live the most, you know, bland existence it's and we're we're just getting to the end of march and it's like fuck man can 2020 came in and didn't bring any lube or nothing just came and fucking raw dogged us absolutely it's uh kind of a little bit of a bummer um all the way around and didn't necessarily mean to, to bring this down but um i enjoy this conversation i hope you guys do too at this point we just need to collect uh need to collect adam and, and jesse um, and then we'll have the full kill switch anthology series. Yeah. And then like, uh, we can commentate on everything going on. And, uh, as we kind of wrap this episode up, um, if you would like to keep up with, uh, Justin, well, fuck it. You can't cause he doesn't have social media as we, as you heard us talk about. Yes. Facebook and Instagram at kill switch engage Twitter at KSE official. Um, I don't know when this tour, uh, that they were on with August burns red and light the torches getting rescheduled. I think as of now, it's still just postponed. There's no, 
reschedule dates. Uh, it won't really affect me because I doubt they're going to restart the whole tour over, which would be tight if they came back around and did another one because maybe then I could get Jesse or Adam. But They'll go to St. Louis and I'll get the interview. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That would work. Yep. So that's how you can keep up with the band. If you would like to keep up with uh, the podcast, simple enough, Bruce Speak Pod everywhere. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're all there. Send us an email, brutallyspeaking at gmail.com. Get in touch with us. Leave comments. Leave reviews. Support us non-monetarily that way. Support us over on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Pod. We have some episodes up there. Um, we'd like to do some more, but, uh, you know, maybe if you guys start supporting us, we'll start doing some more fun content over there. Uh, and Dan will tell you where he can be found having fun all over the internet. All over the internet, man. I'm on Twitter. It's Discuss Metal Dan. I'm on Facebook under Daniel Terry because I haven't been smart enough to create like a different Facebook account, but that just seems like a lot of work. So, you know, Daniel Terry, search me out. I'm there in all of my curly headed goodness. And uh, you can find my other. Fuck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you can find my other podcast, Discography Discussion, at discussmetal.com. You can always send me an email at discussmetaldan at gmail.com. I'll probably respond to it. If I don't, I'm really sorry. It's probably because I'm like doing something, but I don't do a whole lot. So you have pretty good. You're good. Uh, and if you are able to go support our sponsors, uh, starting with the Bean Bastard, go to thebeanbastard.com, get you some delicious coffee. Uh, if you are able to, they are a small local independent company. Uh, so we would love to see you guys support them. Uh, if you are able to, uh, on point pomade, use our code BSP15 and get your hair and beard looking on point. Get some hair, hair care products and beard products. And lastly, don't forget about rockabilia.com. We are really stoked to have them on board. Uh, they have tons of band merch. Go to rockabilia.com. They have over 500,000 items up for sale, including some awesome Kill Switch Engage swag. There's a Rosa Sharon shirt. There's a hoodie with an all over print on it. Anything you could possibly want. If you are a fan of this podcast, if you're a fan of the bands we have on this show, rockabilia.com has it for you. And you know it's good quality too. It's not like some of the bootleg shit you get over on eBay or some of these other places. It's all authentic and all the money goes back to the bands as well. So you know you're doing good and supporting everyone as needs to be which is really crucial right now in this time period uh given that no one's touring and and there's a lot of merch that needs to be bought so if you are able to go over to rockabilia.com get you some awesome swag uh if you are a first time user you get 10 percent off your order you'll see a little pop-up as soon as you're on the website so take advantage of that get some awesome merch rockabilia.com so go check them out if you are able to support our sponsors for supporting us and uh someone else i want to shout out real quickly before we we wrap this up uh, you might have noticed in the last couple of weeks, we've had really cool graphics uh, and, and audio card things on our socials and so forth. I'm so old, I don't even know what the fuck they're called. But thanks to Samantha Vaughn, uh, she's come on and done some really cool stuff for us. Uh, she also does stuff for the Peer Pleasure podcast, for the Talk To Me podcast. Uh, she is doing really great uh, content creating things for us. Uh, so we want to shout her out and just show our appreciation for what she's doing because uh, as you've seen on these things, it, it makes our socials look a lot better. Um, and at the end of the day, that, that's kind of what these these advertising dollars and so forth are going towards is trying to create the best presentation for this show that we can possibly put out. So thanks to her. Thanks to all of our sponsors. And thanks to you guys for listening to us week in and week out. And for the Brutally Speaking podcast, I am John. And I am Dan. And we will talk to you all next time.